Welcome to another edition of Unplugged. We have a pulse, but it's a very faint one after, unfortunately, a throwback to the early part of the season. One thing we could probably rely on since the bye was that the effort and performance had been at a fairly consistent level. It wasn't always getting the result, but certainly that the group wasn't far away. The only two defeats they'd suffered really since that period were uh, tight losses to Port Adelaide and the West Coast Eagles. But uh, this loss was a throwback to some of those ugly performances against Port Adelaide and Richmond, uh, the Western Bulldogs and Essendon and the like from earlier in the year. And unfortunately, it's a result that probably cost us our season. If we win all three games, we will make the finals. But it's the challenge of winning all three of those matches uh, that that may be too difficult. A look at our injury list this week shows about 19 blokes. A look at Sydney's injury list shows tumbleweeds. But we'll uh, we'll see what happens as the game does unfold. Um, The Swans, you know, probably due for a downer. But, um, yeah, it'd be nice to fight on for another week. But a really flat performance that started so promisingly with Max King kicking three goals in the first 12 minutes of the game. And then it all went pear-shaped from that point on. Nick, I was watching with you. Uh, we're allowed to watch at establishments, certainly not at houses. But uh, we found one of those in Melbourne on the weekend. And uh, we had the Matildas on at the same time. And I'm not ashamed to admit that it, uh, it started to take a little bit more focus. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's I mean, there there are not too many times when I refuse to watch a, a replay, and there's been a couple this year, but this was this was one of them. And, and yeah, can certainly um, you know agree with it at times in that that second half, kind of turning the chair towards the Matildas game as opposed to uh, Fox Footy. But um, look, it was it was really disappointing. It's one of the more disappointing performances of the year, I think. Like you like you mentioned, we've been able to rely at least, even if not winning game, winning the game, but being able to rely on that effort and the energy and the intensity um, at least to kind of give us something and, and to show us that at least, you know, that they're putting that in. Um, but that was, that was sorely lacking on, uh, on Friday night. And yeah, you, you could kind of tell you know, halfway through that first quarter, you, you said Max King and his three goals, but yeah, Harry Mackay was going uh, punch for punch with him in that first quarter. And then, you know, they got a couple of goals ahead and, and never looked um, we never looked like getting back in the game after that. It was just just really disappointing, and um, yeah, I almost feel like like such a St Kilda thing to do would be to lose to Carlton that it has been flogged by North Melbourne. We lose to Carlton, then we go and beat Sydney and Geelong, and and like you, you say, kind of get that pulse going again, and then we'll probably you know, die in the ass against Frio and lose by sixty points. But um, you know, it's just just bitterly disappointing, and and you know, after after a month of you know, kind of giving us that hope again, they just ripped it away. It did feel that way, and it was it was like I mean, typically straight after that, every result over the weekend fell our way, which would have been perfect had we have won the game. But um, yeah, uh, H, it was it was really disappointing. I, I read, and the, the boys do a terrific job on that red, white, and black when they they write those you know the, the match reviews every week, and. I think the first line they had in it was it was the worst 31 point loss of all time and it felt a bit that way like it was a 31 point loss that was an 80 point loss well i'd probably put the 97 grand final down as the worst 31 point loss ever yeah, but anyway yeah, um yeah. <laughs> um yeah the it, we just it just seems like we don't want to play finals i mean all the other teams are giving us the opportunity to do it we just turn up on the week on these games and go, well, we do, we want it that badly. It, it just doesn't seem like it at the moment. We, we've, we felt slow. We felt seconds of the ball. It just, I mean, 
you look at what we did for the first 15 minutes of the match, you think, hey, we're, we're on here. We're kicking it to King in space. But then all of a sudden, like, they, they start moving back on him a little bit more than what they were. And all of a sudden, that yeah, we're still trying to kick it to him, even though they've got someone sitting back in front of him or that. And you're thinking, well, where, where are these open players that should be there if they're zoning back on him? They've established what was beating him after only 15 minutes and they changed their game plan, which you look back the other way, we didn't do. So that that that's what's happened there. We've sort of been beaten in the coach's box. The, they they were able to change what was happening, whereas a, we kept trying to do the same things, but it just stopped working. And that, that that's where we've got to look at. Now, we've said it in the other losses this year, if something's not working, Stop it. Don't, it. It's not working for a reason. Try something else. It's. It, it just gets frustrating watching him try to, I guess, sit it on Max's head when he's got three players around him. And you think, well, where are, where are the two crummers? Where are the players who are 15 metres shorter of him by themselves that these players have run off? Where's, where's the players streaming on the ground by himself? But it just didn't feel like anyone was rushing to the ball to, or to open space to make those different opportunities yeah the biggest contrast in in styles between the sides was the way we were moving the ball forward so i mean first quarter first 15 minutes it was open at both ends uh but then from probably that point on every time we went forward it was labored we'd miss targets we'd go wide or we'd bomb it to the top of the square and there'd be 14 guys around and then they would get a counter-attack after we'd had it forward for three or four minutes and have 70 meters of open space and get over the back and there were signs of that a little bit against West Coast. They got over the back of us a couple of times, uh, but not as bad. We should have held up all right in that game, but Carlton just scored far too easily. It was the, the most leaky we've looked in defence. Um, Dougal Howard, I know he did his hammy just before half time, but he was getting beaten before that. Even Wilkie was a bit looser. Webster played his worst game for the year, probably. Um, I thought Highmore was okay, but, but there wasn't a lot else, probably defensively. Um, Connolly was taking the game on a little bit with run and carry, but we were just a bit safe. We were safe with ball in hand and loose when we didn't have it, um, which is obviously a horrible combination, whereas they were daring. And, I mean, to get 70 hitouts to 13 or whatever it was, or 70 to 16, and break even in the clearances, the uh, 70 to 11, I think it might have been, but, um, but to, to break even in the clearances um, with an additional midfielder effectively for them in Jack Silvani with no no logical ruckman was really disappointing. And as much as Hunter didn't give us what Ryder would give us, if you had Marshall and Ryder and you'd expect to win the hit out 70 to whatever it was. So we did that anyway, but for some reason just couldn't capitalise on that control. And um, yeah, that, that was, it was a perfect storm. Midfield was flat footed, forwards couldn't get space and defence was really loose. And as a result, you lose badly. I mean, that, I think that was almost, you know, I mean, there were a lot of disappointing aspects to this game, but, you know, we won a lot of the, a lot of the stats, a lot of the metrics, and to, to lose the way that we did was just, you know, incredibly frustrating. But we had more disposals, you know, we had more inside 50s, absolutely smashed the hitouts and won the, the clearance number as well. And at that point, you think that the game should be a lot closer than than 31 points, let alone the, the margin that it was out too early than that. So... Yeah, it was just a really strange, really depressing kind of game, and um, yeah, I I don't want to see too many more of those. And and you think, you know, looking at at some of the 
the performance. Obviously, you know, Ryan Burns has shown a bit over the, the second half of this year. Leo Connolly, obviously, has given us a bit of a spark. Tommy Highmore does his job week after week. Um, it, you know, you've got to bring Jack Bytel back in this week. I think it's just, you just you have to. You've got to play him now. And, and I was going to add to your thing on the hitouts there. I think we even had, at one point, I'm pretty sure the hitouts to advantage were 24 to 3. Mm. So we've obviously hit it to our player who has then gone and turned it over because you don't win 24 hitouts to advantage and lose that way. That That's simply oh, getting it down to Dunson or a Crouch or even Steele and then turning the ball straight over. That, it's, that's where the game became the most frustrating because you know we know we're getting the ball. We know we're getting these opportunities. But then just playing the way we did and giving it straight back to them to attack us again, as you're saying, getting the overlap and running over the top of us and getting that free space. And it's just, it just got really, really frustrating watching that happen. And and you knew it was going to happen again. So you got to the, getting to the contest, you go, okay, we know Rowan's going to win the ball, but where's it going to go straight after that? Because it just, it just didn't look after it. It was almost like thinking, oh, it's too easy. We'll get the ball out. We'll just kick it long and we'll get the mark like we did in the first 15 minutes. And if King, if Max but, King was, I mean, the, with how well he was moving early in the game and then with our ball movement slowing up so much, he, he would have kicked 10 the way he was playing in the early stages of the game. If he was in their forward line, he would have kicked 14, just the, the way that the game was, was moving and how open it was at, at their end. So that's why it was frustrating that we had a forward that was red hot uh, and just couldn't capitalise on that. I mean, memory was was struggling a little bit. Um, Shaman's a, a positive. I know that it was sort of junk time-ish when he came on, but he's had five shots of goal in probably 40 minutes and kicked a couple, took a nice mark. Um, so that's encouraging. Um, but, yeah, it was just frustrating. That there, there were a few things that were right there for us. It was that and the Port Adelaide game, where basically the seas parted for us to walk into the eight. And um and it was all in front of us and um yeah we just weren't able to uh weren't able to take our chances and no one else is taking them either but um they're not our problem so yeah I was just going to add in the other thing you talked about Connolly there I, I'm just wondering I'm hoping that he hasn't sort of got a, that little bit too much confidence there's a couple of times where he just he gave these little dinky kicks off to the side of the boot trying to be clever a little bit like. There was one stage where I think we just got the ball outside their 50. He was at the back of the square. It started, it took about, I don't know, five, six steps and then kicked it off the side of the boot to kick the almost 90 degree angle off the boot to try to get it to someone. And it turned straight over to Carlton. And I'm going, just don't, don't let that creep into your game. We've seen how well you use the ball. Don't, don't try this clever stuff. Um, we know, we know how good these kick is. You know what? I'm it's... I'm almost I'm almost the opposite. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with it because there aren't we don't have too many guys that are willing to take the game on. And you know he's you know we've got a four gamer or whatever he is that's that's willing to to try something new and and show a bit of dash and a bit of dare and try something a bit strange or um, you know whatever that is. And and we don't have anyone like him. He's kind of our you know our version of Caleb Daniel off half back, and he's small and he jinks around and. Um, he's just always active and always moving. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm okay with him turning the ball over a little bit. I mean, it's not, don't get me wrong. It's not ideal. I'd rather he didn't, but you know, in a, in a season where we just lack some spark and dash and dare and, 
and having fun and, and he just seems to to have that in spades and you know I just I just want him to keep attacking the ball I want him to keep taking the game on and, and showing a bit of that flash because we miss it you know it's something that that we sorely sorely miss and even you look at some of those you know opposition fans will call it the boring days of the you know the Ross Lyon team when they were just so clinical and, and whatever but you still had guys like um, you know Jason Graham and, and and guys like him off half back and um, taking the game on and and you know, showing something, a bit of spark and a bit of excitement. And Leo Connolly reminds me a little bit of that, and and just you know has the has the confidence, almost arrogance, but you know, has the confidence and and the ability to kind of do something a little bit special. And and um, you know I I hope he doesn't lose that, um, especially the rest of this year. He almost doesn't have anything to lose. Um, that that you know it kind of becomes his thing and. You know, hopefully he can teach a few of the older heads that, that have, have lost that over the last couple of years. Um, hopefully he kind of brings that back a, a little bit to the team because I think, I think we miss it. Yeah, it's just, it's just those little five-metre ones to the 90 degree that you sort of want to try and cut out because that it, I've, I've seen other players from other teams who try that and then, and then all of a sudden one happens and they try it every single time and you just sort of think... It's not if you're turning it over sixty meters out from goal. It's not advantageous to us at all. So yeah, it's more it's more a mindset but, thing. I don't mind him going the corridor um, in the sense that if he wants to play quick and and go the aggressive kick and back himself, that's fine. But you just got to be smart with the the option. I would rather someone like him take things on and open it up rather than we're four goals down or chip it sideways, but you've got to be smart with a kick. You don't kick it to one guy surrounded by four. You don't kick it to 60 metres out from your defensive goal in the corridor and all of that sort of stuff. Like you wouldn't admit that that kick against Port Adelaide was amazing, but you wouldn't advise that you try that very often. That's a, that's a very, very low percentage, but I don't mind the mindset of the kid to say, I'm a reasonable user of the footy. I'm going to take the option that opens us up because um, we've got too many guys that won't do that. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got guys like, I mean, yes, there are guys that turn and play on. I mean, Zach Jones is a guy that, that forces the issue a little bit, but guys like Dunstan and Ross and even Billings to some degree, who should be a better kick than both of those guys, will often be very safe and steady when things aren't going our way. And, and it's almost like well, we're five goals down and they're playing safe. It's like, well, we can't win then. You, you've got What's to the thing? Yeah. We have so many guys that are willing to play safe and, and play mm. safe footy, but they're not very good at it. No. Not, yeah. you know, we're not a good team at playing safe. We, we play our best footy mm. when we're attacking and offensive and we have that mentality. And too often we've seen this year in particular, those guys that should, you know, they're, they're skilled footballers. They're, they're experienced veteran, you know, athletic, quick, strong, powerful, skilled footballers. Um, with talent, and so often they play safe and it backfires because they're just not good at it, not good at safe football. Yeah, it's um, it was a messy old night, unfortunately, when they had a fair bit of uh, expectation on it. Um, votes, I guess it's probably a case of almost returning to a degree of um, of normality or status quo with some of these. It was pretty tricky to to find them. I um. I squeezed Max King in for one vote, even though most of his work was done early. But he's kicked four in a team that was well beaten and he looked on. He looked like he would have kicked six at least again with a decent day. I know Wiedering took some intercept marks, but if you kick four on him, I still think you've you've won the points. 
I thought Zach Jones was uh, in the first half certainly our best player, and I thought he um, his energy he was actually vibrant and taking the game on and running and backed up the week before really well. So I gave him two votes, and Jack Steele's had thirty six and clearances and tackles and all of the usual stuff and, and was once again our best player. Uh, I thought about giving Rowan Marshall a vote and that was interesting because Silvani was was good for them, but Marshall's had 25, 47 hit outs, kicked a goal, taken eight marks or something like that. He did dominate his position uh, and it wasn't really necessarily his fault what did eventuate, but, but I just squeezed him in for an apology. Um, so King, Jones, Steele for me, H. I pretty much agree with you right there. Um, I couldn't find really anyone else to squeeze in. I, Dunstan, I maybe almost got in for the one. Um, just yeah, just just that la- that last kick that which basically gets it got turned over a few times, hits a few more of those targets, and he gets in the votes. That, that's all it came down to. And I, as you're saying with Marshall, he he got heap of it himself. He got heaps of hit outs. He got that. But when he's got that advantage, he probably should be using it a lot more than what he actually did. Um, I, it, he had Hunter there as well. I mean, Hunter had 21 hit outs himself as well. So there was a lot of time that Marshall was off, off ruck. So he's, what was it? 81% game time. You take 21 hit outs for Hunter, that means he's probably on the forward line for about 20 to 25% of the hmm. time there. But I didn't seem you, you see Ryder go down the forward line sometimes and you know he's down there. It, it just didn't feel like Marshall was down there making the most of helping out King or being that second big forward. It, it just He just didn't have that presence that he's had other times. So yeah, he, he could have had a big impact down the forward line knowing what was happening after they changed the game plan. And, yeah, he, he could have turned the game if if he would basically gone down there and been that big backup. But um, I just felt like, I don't know, I, was he getting run around by Silvani that kept him away from it or what? But, yeah, we certainly should be taking a lot more advantage than what we did with with the situation that was at hand. Yeah, I, look, it's it's a strange one. I I kind of disagree a, a little bit with both of you guys on on Rowan Marshall. I um I've given him two votes, but I'll I'll get to that. Um I've got apologies to Max King and Zach Jones. Um and I also thought Luke Dunstan, Brad Crouch, um and Tommy Highmore yeah, a little bit more probably could have gotten them into the into the conversation, but I gave one vote to to Leo Connolly. I thought, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, I thought yeah, he he doesn't do everything right, and, and he's still got a lot to learn and 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 you know, a fair bit of development to go. But the way that he attacks the contest, the way that he takes the game on, we don't have anyone like him. And and I thought that out of everyone, even when we slowed the game down and and you know, kind of the the game changed, that he was one that didn't. Um, he had eighteen touches intercept possessions, you know, moved the ball quickly, um, went long. He had 370-odd, 380-odd metres gained as well from a from a back pocket. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to see him out of the team again. I, I just love the way – I love the way that he plays. Um, and, you know, I think, I think 
we kind of we're at a stage where we've got to start rewarding these kids for for showing a bit of that dash and and um mindset that some of the older guys should be showing and, and just aren't um like i said rowan marshall i thought was stiff you know he had 22 touches 46 set outs six score involvements five tackles and a goal i mean any other week that's a bloody good game for for a ruckman um and you're right he he didn't impact the game a whole lot as a forward h but i i'm not sure that's his fault our our forward entry and our ball movement um off half back and and forward of center was just deplorable and you know we saw what happened with with max king after quarter time um he, he kicked that one later on but you know the way that the way that carlton set up their their kind of half back zone um, and the way that we moved the ball off, you know, through the wing and, and through the corridor was just unbelievably poor. And, you know, we didn't really give those guys much of an opportunity. Um, and, and I thought Rowan Marshall was really impactful for his time in the ruck um, and was let down by a number of guys around him in other situations. I thought he was let down you know, a lot by his midfielders in that they didn't take advantage of the service that he gave them and that they turned the ball over a lot. And then again, when he was up forward, was let down by those guys bringing the ball to him, is that, that he wasn't able to have that impact that we know that he can have. Um, but, you know, quite clearly, Jack Steele was, was our best on ground. 36 touches, 14 tackles, eight clearances, eight score involvements. The guy just does does everything. And, uh, yeah, this is this is the Jack Steele award. Yeah, it is. And um, you'll struggle to get a Brownlow vote in that game only because we got flogged. But um, might, might get one. He might get might one, get potentially, one. Um, whether it's Walsh or um, Mackay or whatever. They get the others forwards don't always get them. So chance that that might not happen. Um, Are we going to do the, uh, the yeah, Shane Yeah, we, we will. We, we certainly will. Um, you were talking about Paul Hunter before, and I thought you could have easily been talking about Trent Noble or someone like that with, a, <laughs> with those sorts of numbers. Trent Noble, who famously, I think, had 71 hitouts in two weeks without a possession um, in, in 2004, <laughs> but it, it is a bit that way. But. Yeah, well, where do we start with the, the Shannon Knoll Award? I know he kicked three late, and I gave him the Shannon Knoll Award last week, but I'm going again only because he's so important to us, um, and all of those possessions came when it didn't matter, um, and it wasn't necessarily his fault. We had a lot of problems. I would have given it to Dougal Howard if he wasn't injured. Um, he's struggled in the last couple of weeks. But Tim Membry, for, for mine, again, um, a big fan. I think he's been in our best five over the course of the year. But the last two to three weeks he's battled, and that's been partially why we haven't won any of those games when we only needed one. So um, we need more from him on a consistent basis, particularly. He was very good against Sydney last time we played them. Um, we need something like that from him. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doubling down, H. Um, might be a little bit rough, but I've... Callum Wilkie wasn't in the game on the weekend, I don't think. He, I mean, 13 touches as a backman, yeah, that's that's can be average. But the four free kicks against, three of them, I think, were just ridiculous. He, he, grappling when he didn't have to. That He sort of fell into that trap on the weekend of grabbing a hold of the defender before the ball comes, and he, he got caught out. And, I mean, unfortunately, Max didn't get the same... So we got, I think he got one down the forward line for the night, but yeah, he's he gave away to four, and you sort of think, oh, that's that's not good. But then at the same time, as a defender, he also didn't lay any tackles. It's 
yeah, I, I we know how well he can hold the back line together and how much he gives us down there. But yeah, he, he, he just wasn't on, wasn't on the game on the weekend. Yeah, I, I considered all those guys and, and similar reason to you, Parker, on, on Membry, just in in how much he can give us, you know, over the last month or so has not been his, his best footy. Um, Dougal Howard, I thought was poor before he got injured, but tough to, to give this uh, award or whatever you want to give mm. it to, to a bloke that goes off injured. Um, Wilkie as well, I thought was probably his worst game for the year, H, um, but he's probably got the, the runs on the board, I think, to, to give him another... Another another shot. If he if he has another week like that this week, that is is fair and square in, in the gun. But for me, it came down to Dean Kent and Ben Long, um, and it was very hard, very hard to uh, to decide between those two. Uh, and I'm I've gone with Ben Long because he's he's been in the team most of the year, um, or at least the second half of the year. He's he kind of gave himself a second wind. Is is you know given himself a or earned himself a second life uh, again as, as a defensive pressure forward, um, but just gave us nothing in, in a real opportunity this week or last week, I should say against that, um, that Carlton defense that is certainly not, you know, a, a, you know, finals worthy defensive unit to really, you know, stamp his impression on, on the game and really make an impact both physically, but also, you know, attack on the contest and 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 impact the scoreboard just really gave us nothing. I think he had three tackles for the day and eight touches. Um, you know, Kent Kent was lively at times. He, he had some horrific turnovers, but you know, it looked like he he at least showed some effort and, and energy, um, which was the the difference maker. But Ben Long, hundred um, percent in the gun for me this week, and and just you know, games when he goes missing, just really really goes missing. I um ran out of swear words on on Friday night. It's probably best I don't comment on uh, on some of my thoughts on Dean Kent too much. Watching that game. Um, just before we move on from that, there's one guy that we've all let off scot free, and he's very very lucky not to have been included in this segment, and that is Jack Billings. Mm. Um, yeah, his last couple of weeks, he's yeah he's ball use and his influence. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about him being targeted by a couple of clubs in the competition and. Um, we should probably consider that. And I'm not saying that in a harsh way. I don't like any player moving on, but you've got to consider all of those sorts of options around players. And he's at a crossroads, Jack. There's no question about that. His, his career can go any number of directions from here and we'll see what does eventuate. But um, I, I remember thinking after about round six or seven, mm. you know, the four, he was our behind, I mean, behind Jack Steele. He was our best player. He was Probably. he was would have been top two, top three, at worst in the best and fairest yeah. at that point. I would have thought, um, and you know, I was thinking that you know, if if he elects to leave and go to a North or a Essendon or whatever that is in in free agency, that we're probably in line for a mid or late first round pick in in compensation for him. But his form since about round ten has been very poor, um, and that's putting it lightly. I mean, we know how much talent he's got. But even in really kind of easy opportunities for, for him to showcase, you know, goal kicking 35 metres out, almost directly in front, spraying it, um, missing targets on the wing when he's kind of under no pressure. Uh, you know, I, we're probably in, in, in line for a second round pick now after the, the last 10 weeks. Um, 
it, it kind of feels like he's mentally checked out that he's just not giving the not giving the effort. And we know that he's you know, historically over the last few years, he starts the season on fire. You I think he was leading the Brownlow the last two years after after the first three or four weeks for us, um, in terms of our votes. But um I think he might have even been leading a couple of years ago, leading the Brownlow count after round five or round six. Um but it feels like it feels like he's mentally checked out. And I don't know if there's any way that we can we can get that back for the last couple of weeks of the of the year and or, or whether it's you know, he's you know, there's potentially an offer on, on the table and he's just waiting for the end of the year to, to be able to take it. Yeah, it's um it's interesting. He's he's had a he's had a really interesting little crossroad in, in his career, that's for sure. Um we'll take a look at Sydney in a moment. But one thing we haven't been particularly lucky with over the course of our history, St Kilda is just about anything, but in particular, uh father sons. We haven't uh we haven't been blessed in the way that some other clubs have been historically. But uh the one instance where we were Michael Roberts, son of Neil Roberts, the nineteen fifty eight Brownlow medalist, is our special guest this week. Well, Michael Roberts played 77 games with the Saints. Of course, the son of a Brownlow medalist, Neil, from 1958. He's had a fine media career post his playing days. Also represented Fitzroy and Richmond across the journey as well. And you would have found him uh, right in the boundary and, and doing reporting and hosting TV shows and the like. But, uh, Michael, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure. Anything for St Kilda. <laughs> now, uh, we, we often start at the, the beginning of a playing career, but in your case, I wanted to go back even earlier than that. I mean, obviously, um, I think you, the old man won the Brownlow the year before you were born. Yep. But what was it like growing up, I guess, as the son of a St Kilda great and obviously carrying that around in terms of, you know, one day I want to do the same thing. I want to play for the club. And, and did you immediately have an appreciation for how good he was? Well, I was always going to play for St Kilda. I was, I was zoned. And uh, and I played under the father and son rule, obviously, as well. But I reckon I'm the only kid that was conceived on the rub-down table at the Junction Oval after, <laughs> after we won the Brownlow. Um, <laughs> nine months to the day I was born out of that changing room at the Junction Oval. So I'm a Brownlow baby. So I was always going to play <laughs> King Kilda. So um, expectations were high from day dot. But uh, we played in different positions. Like I, I, um, I look at, say, a, a Hudson, Peter Hudson and Paul Hudson. They played similar positions in the forward line and whatever. But Dad was a centre-half back, punched on with Witten and a few of those blokes, where I was a, a rover, wingman-type, more mobile player. So the comparison wasn't too bad. But the positive thing was the fact that I deliberately wore number 10 uh, for the mere fact that I, I just was so proud and, and, and respected the old man. So number 10's been a, a very uh, big number in our family. And the fact that you ran down the race for the first time, people knew who you were, so all you had to do was perform. And, and that gave me such self-motivation to see the pill and get it uh, more than anything. So uh, in those initial years, the motivation that the old man had set 
was was enough for me to build a platform. I mean, you you're a Bayside boy. What what was it like growing up as the son of Neil Roberts and and you know, barracking for the club and in in that area as well? Yeah, uh, Bo Morris. We had our own rules down there. It was fantastic. Uh, a lot of us were were in the surf a lot. Um, pretty fit kids, and uh, really enjoyed one another's company. And and uh, I must say. All my coaches and and the Beaumaris Football Club, where I played over a hundred games and a few premierships up through those underage years, was um, sensational to leapfrog me into the under 19s at St Kilda. So I played, I think, about twelve under 19 games under Bob Murray in the centre. Then they stuck me up in the reserves. I played two or three reserve games, and then I was playing in the seniors. So I just turned eighteen. And um, and I was captain was Carl uh, Dittrich. We played North Melbourne at Arden Street, and they were the reigning premiers. They'd beaten Collingwood in that drawn grand final, and that was my first game. And we knocked them over. We beat the reigning premiers out at Arden Street. Barassi was coach of the Shinboners, and um, and Patterson was our Mike Patterson. Swamp Fox was our uh, our coach, and we knocked them off. You know, Blight and Glenn Denny. Did you win that after the siren? Rig and all those blokes. It was after siren. Very controversial. Um, but it was just a ripper to knock those blokes over. Most players don't have much exposure to clubs before they start and that, but you, you'll probably at the club so much you were sick of the place before you got there. And But finally going, getting the red, white and black on and running out for the club and just... How, how was that first moment of stepping out the field and going, I'm, I'm finally here? How, how did that come across? Um, it gobsmacked. Uh, it, it was a childhood dream. Seriously, to sit up in the stand as a kid and watch almost every game and idolise, you know, Daryl Bulldog sitting on his knee, Ian Stewart, Ian Cooper, Daryl Griffiths, um, Alan Davis, Carl Dittrich, you know. Uh, and don't forget that, my, the old man gave Carl number 10 and then Carl made sure that I got number 10. Um, he, he was actually dating my auntie at the time, but that, that's another story altogether. But um, uh, Carl made sure I got number 10. And, yeah, as, as you say, a lot of the, the nervousness and the doubt were taken away because I was just so used to the joint. Uh, I, I can un- understand how Ablett Jr., was with, you know, Gary's, Gary Senior. It was sort of that locker room, changing room, the smell of the joint, wasn't intimidated, wasn't intimidated at all. Failure didn't enter my head. I, I just wanted to get out there. It was just a, it was just such an exciting time. Uh, number 10 obviously continued to be a famous number with the likes of Spider and, and Stephen Baker and the like in, in years to come. But um, as a kid, it was probably hard in, in 1978 to pinpoint what was going on at the club. But the club started the year brilliantly and finished the year brilliantly, went off the rails in the middle. Can you sort of pinpoint, a lot of people point to that Essendon game where they uh, they beat them at Moorabbin and got referred to as animals and for whatever reason lost the plot from there. Can you sort of pinpoint what went wrong and, and it really felt like a wasted year? I think we beat every finalist in the last six weeks. You've done your homework. That's exactly what happened. We knocked over all the top four and um, it came down to that Carlton game. Remember Robbie Muir mm. accidentally hit Collins out in the wing? Um, but we had a cracking side. Like the spine was amazing. Um, and you had George Young and Carl Dittridge and Perovic playing and, and Pupsaru was third string in the ruck. Sidebottom was going okay. 
obviously had Barks um, and Greeny Village. You had, well, gee, we had a good side. Um, so to, to, to actually get my chance back then was fantastic. Yeah, we just, you know, you just get up for the big games and we probably let a few slip that we should have won and uh, could have played finals in, in 90, we should have played finals in 78. And then a lot of players left the following year. It was, I don't know what happened there. Big car left, a whole heap of blokes left in 79 and 80. And, gee, we had to fight hard through those years. They were, they, they were really tough. Tell us about that that relationship with Barks. Because, I mean, it's kind of, well, you two were the, kind of the pin-up boys of, at Moorabbin and, um, you know, good mates and all that sort of stuff. But how did that relationship develop and, and, and come about? He just took a shine to me. He was a Chelt boy. They played on a Sunday in the Federal League and I was a Beaumaris boy, played on a Saturday in the South East Suburban League. But I got there. He was three years older than me, but we were inseparable. We, we were like serious brothers. And um, everywhere I went, he went. Everywhere he went, I went. And we were shoulder to shoulder on and off the track. Uh, we, we used to almost wax out in the ground at times. Um, yeah, that was a sad day. That was a slow burn, uh, his, him passing. I didn't see him in his last month and I saw him a lot and uh, I was shattered, but he just didn't want to show that he actually reached such a condition. He was skeletal and um, I remember I was hosting a function for the club as a jumper presentation and I was waiting for him to come into the room and he was late and, and Big Carl and, and Gary Colling and a few of those guys that were presenting jumpers they were on the front table and he, I remember him walking in and I thought, geez, he looks yellow and he, he's so much weight. And so I, I actually went out on the balcony. It upsets me now thinking about it. And uh, he told me his condition and we, we both cried and gave each other a hug. And then we got back up on stage and, and had to perform that night. Um, I'll never forget that. But, yeah, to lose him at 39 years of age and what am I, 62? He should be 65 now, Barks. And he, he'd be running things. He, he was so good in the media, on and off the track. He's a great player. Um, tackler, high mark, so respected, um, but a, a larrikin. And, and that's the way you've got to be, I reckon. You've got to have a little bit of ego and arrogance and a little bit of larrikin. You can't be a librarian, but you've got to dedicate yourself to training hard and, and playing hard. And, and that's what Barks did. He, he deserved every accolade thrown at him, Trevor Barker. Uh, you mentioned about Neil playing on EJ and that in, during his time, and you would have come up against Ted Jr. in your time. But I've also spotted the photo of yourself with both your dads, both uh, both of you two in your big V jumper. How, how was representing the state as well? In it, we don't really get it these days, obviously. Cause we've we get occasionally like the game last year, but getting to play for Victoria, how how was that? I got brought up about the big V because um, the old man, he was so, uh, so into state football. They had big carnivals and, and uh, it was, it was war against WA and even Tassie and South Australia. And, and the eighties was big because of Ted. So as I said, the old man was sent half back, Whitman was sent half forward. So they punched on some Kilda versus Footscray and they were both captains. But then when they came to state footy, uh, you know, there was Barassi and Skilton and Nichols and, and the old man and Witten and I could name the side and it was entrenched for about 10 years. So for, for a person like myself or Trevor Barker or Robbie, they didn't play finals. 
we didn't play finals. So the best, the next level was to play for Victoria. So I was absolutely wrapped when I got picked to play state footy, uh, especially with Barks. Um, that, that meant so much to me. And I remember sitting next to the old man when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, the AFL Hall of Fame. And I said, you'd be wrapped with this. And he said, yeah. I said, I know why too, because Nichols, Skilton, Barassi, Witten, they'd all been inducted. And he was one of the ones that hadn't. And it meant so much for him to actually be recognised by the VFL, AFL, but it all stemmed from the state side, playing for Victoria. Uh, and so respectful uh, for, for Norm Smith and, and all, the, all the great coaches that had them. Um, Tony Jewell was my coach in the state side and I ended up having him at St Kilda in Richmond, so I was very lucky. But playing for the Big V was everything. Uh, fantastic. Loved it. And EJ made sure about my experience too because EJ and I are born on the same day, the 27th of July. Teddy Senior and myself and Alan Border, they're the two... To, uh, there's a bob in the head on who's the best, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so do, yeah, so, so doing the sums, yeah. To send me birthday ca- uh, birthday cards every year. Can't repeat them, those shockers. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not a bad triumvirate, is it? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, very special to have him as a friend. He looked after me as a father figure and a mentor, and and um, and to play for Victoria, I've got fond memories of him and Witten for sure. The old man. Doing the maths, happy birthday for the last week. It was Thanks, the 27th mate. of July. But um, uh, on just elaborating further on, on Barks, we often hear the story about when St Kilda were on their knees. I'm not sure of the specific year, but I think it was early 80s, about the time he won the best and fairest and famously donated the car back to the club. But right. also the, the rallying of the troops. Yeah, the, the rallying of the troops when the club was on its knees, uh, accepting 22 cents in the dollar and, and that sort of thing. Can you sort of take us through the way that that was sort of sold and the way that his loyalty rubbed off on everyone else and, and in effect saved the club? I reckon it was 11 cents in the dollar. It was 1981 and a few of us had to take a lot of cuts to because uh, the, the club was sinking and um, there was enormous sacrifice and, and, and that just made you more, inspired me more to play for St Kilda because of some of the knowledge on where where we were situated, but also, as you mentioned, Barks' generosity. He just wanted to be a one-club person. I ended up going to three clubs, but um, in hindsight, I probably should have stayed at St Kilda, you know. I actually signed a contract or a piece of paper to go to Collingwood for two years under Matthews, and I ended up going to... Richmond, Graham Richmond and Tony Jewell wanted me to go to Richmond and I ended up signing there because I went to Melbourne High School and, and I played a lot of junior football with Mark Lee and Dale Waitman and we won the 1977 Amco Herald Shield the first first year and then we were all playing league football in 78 and those two boys actually played in a premiership in 1980. So I thought, you know, let's go to the Tigers. I love their ruthless attitude, eat them alive stuff. And I thought playing on the MCG every second week would be sensational. Uh, the best the best stadium in the world, and, and we've got it in our backyard. So that that's why I went to Richmond. I'm glad I did. 
Um, that 8081 period, uh, probably an often forgotten period of St Kilda's history, is the Alex Jezelenko time at the club. Obviously, fresh from 79. People often forget the St Kilda chapter of Jez's career. Can you sort of take us through uh, sort of his influence and, and his time there? Um, if he walked into our into this room now, I'd go get a dad, and he'd go get a son, and that's how we greet each other. Um, so close, I got to Jezza. Um, I, I, a lot of people didn't find him much of a tactician. Um, he was he was playing coach for us, but he gave me the licence to attack the footy and he took a personal interest in me and I respect him and I salute him and I learned so much from Alex Jezelenko as a coach, as a, as a player and also almost a father figure. Um, I even took him out for lunch uh, uh, and I know the Carlton boys do that, but um, I just think that his influence on, on me was enormous um, he was only at the club for a short time at St Kilda because of situ- uh, conditions and situations. But I, I can publicly tell you that I, I respect him so much and he was so important for my progress at the time. He was um, influential in me actually playing for Victoria and, and taking that next level, Alex Gisolinko. So I was going to ask about what happened in, in 81 because that was – I mean, quite clearly, your your best year of of football. You know, played twenty one games, got a ton of the ball. I think you averaged about twenty three or twenty four touches a game. Um, state rep, obviously, as as we've touched on, eight Brownlow votes. What what was it? That all kind of came together in in eighty one for you. No pressure. I didn't have to think about. It. All I had to do was think about footy and getting the pill. Seriously, that's that's how basic my understanding of of the team plan. Uh, and, and how Jezza actually sold it to me. Um, and then I got to the end of the year and I had a ripping year and uh, I got stress fractures training for a marathon. Ron Clark was the fitness guy down there and I started running and I had a, an athletics background. So I did, you know, 800s, 1500s, all that through sub-junior and little athletics, and which was great fitness to play league footy. It was a great platform, but um, I got stress fractures in both feet. And I missed 12 months. So then I came back and I, I had such a good start to the season in the first five games. And then Sydney Swans, 27-minute mark. We just hit the front. Jacko had just kicked his 10th goal. I just shoved it down his neck. And I went for a mark and twisted my knee and did my anterior posterior accretion. Um, Barks had been knocked out about five minutes earlier and we lost the game by three points didn't play again. So I played five games in two and a half years after really setting up a certain level. And uh, that put me behind the eight ball, but I had to work down hard. I got back in 11 months back in those days, because that's when they really open your knee and pull your whole knee out and chip away. And it's a shocker. And and you're in plaster for three months of the year. So it looks like your, your forearms hanging out of your board shorts. Everything just withers away. There's nothing there your vastus medialis, all that around your knee is, is just buggered. So um, to get back, uh, you know, I had to work hard and then I, I just couldn't man- maintain it. It just blew up at half time, and I had to have injections and, and whatever. So to get to the end of my career in 87, I, I, I did as best I could. Uh, you know, I just had to survive. So you only played a few games over those few years, you're saying, and, in that time, we had a 
couple of linchpins either end of the ground come in from two country kids, big guy up forward, big guy up down back. Um, two of them come in and how, how were they together behind the doors? We hear a lot of stories about their travels up to up to the game and then back to Ballarat again. And But inside the club, they, they, could you see that the two of them were just like, yep, they're, they're the two, they're together, they're the, they're the best mates. And could, could you get a, I, I guess a, a word in with them or how, how was it when they were, when they're on a roll. Talking about Spud and Plugger, aren't you? Of yeah. course, yes. Yeah. It, Frawley and Lockett, they're bookends from Ballarat. Seriously. Uh, it, they they terrorised me um, <laughs> uh, in a good way. Um, but they, if, you, if you got them verbally, they'd hit you physically. And uh, they, they, uh, they were scary people. Uh, Plugger, uh, if you knew Plugger, um, he, one of the nicest, kindest guys, but if you didn't and you rubbed him up the wrong way, you'd know about it. Uh, he'd desire you to actually go into the hole and he'd, he'd give it to you. Where Spud was a softie and uh, he was all froth and bubbles, seriously. Um, and then there you go. We lost two skippers, Barks and, and Danny Frawley. As I said, Barks was a slow burn and, and Spud was so sudden and so upsetting. So... Uh, but the, the two of them were, were uh, they were scallywags, um, got into so much trouble and got out of it, uh, blamed everyone else. Uh, best form of defence is attack with both of them and they got up to mischief. But that's what, that's what they did in Ballarat. You know, there's a thousand pubs up there and um, they told lies, but they, they actually performed on the track, didn't they? They were so good for Victoria, so good for football. Like the delivery into the St Kilda forward line wasn't flash, but Lockett, Plugger just kept kicking goals and wasn't he a beautiful kick, the best ever. And Spud was just like an unmade bed. He looked like the bottom of a parrot cage, seriously. But he he uh, got the job done. He was he's actually quite a quick bloke uh, for his size because I I think the family or the family have had sprinters. That the old man was fast. His brothers were quick. And I think he was just handed those genes. But outrageous, out of control, um, enjoyed a good time. Um, but we, we sort of had to curb that occasionally, occasionally. Yeah, can, fun and games. You can tell, I mean, just hearing you, you talk about those guys, you know, the emotion in, in your voice when you talk about them. And, and I think for us, you know, having watched those guys, I think we, you know, we feel it in a different way as fans and, and guys who, who love the club. In a different way. Well, I remember we we did this show. Uh, you know, it was a, a couple of days after after Spud passed, and you know there there were tears that night, and and you know a few of us got together at Morabin and sat in the centre circle and, and had a beer for for Spud in the centre circle at Morabin. It's it's even now, you know, talking to to you guys and and you know your colleagues and and players who have come after you and uh, and talking about Spud and Barks, you know. You, for us, it's it's difficult to talk about. So I can only imagine, you know, for you guys, how hard it is to talk about. But uh, can you can you tell us what what those two specifically mean to you and and to the footy club? As I said, Barks was like a he was like a brother, seriously, and he enjoyed the things that I enjoyed. Um, and we we had a holiday house. We've had a farm and a holiday house down at Lawn. So he, he was desperate to get down there every year. Uh, we travelled up to Queensland a lot. 
uh, trips away, but we really enjoyed our time. And I just sort of knew where he was on the ground and he sort of knew where I was on the ground. Um, Spud uh, was just starting as I was finishing. Um, so I had to play against him. So I know that he was trying to eyeball me there, just a, just a fleeting moment he could have got me, but um, he, he looked after me. But uh, with Spud, um, I knew that he was up and down and uh, we had to go, we went for long walks and we talked a lot and there was a lot of emotion and I, I won't go into it, but um, there were times where I virtually had to grab him by the hand and we jumped off the pier and he, he you know that he got quite emotional talking about things and um, his behaviour patterns changed and he needed reassurance and you, you knew something was up. Um, and then... For me to be told, I think that I was playing golf at Royal Melbourne and a bloke was actually in tears in the car spot and he was a mad St Kilda supporter and he said, have you heard? And I said, what? He said, you're great, mate. Spud, he's, he's gone. And um, I really had to gather myself uh, because it was so sudden and it still affects me thinking about it um, because there's so many situations that Spud would be with us and enjoying it and uh, on the TV and the radio and the games and, and um, you know, he'd be enjoying Banger Harvey coaching for Collingwood because we know how much that senior coaching role meant for Banger and, and Spud should be here to experience that. There's situations every day like that that um, really irk me and, and I go up, I, I fluctuate in emotions. I get sad, then angry and then disappointed um, so yeah, cause we thought we had it in control, but obviously it was out of control and, uh, yeah, not a day goes past. I don't think of both of them because they were so close and so involved in my life. Yeah. We're getting the chance to, to work with Spud for a while. I guess my observation was that he was a, just a big sponge. Like he'd take in everything and he'd feel everything so deeply and, and convey, you know, almost that, that emotional the influx would, would, would stay with him because he was such an, an emotional character. And yeah, you could often tell, you know, that it was getting heavy and, and that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. probably the, you know, in a lot of ways, we've had a tragic history as a football club, but they're the two saddest chapters in, in our club's history, I would think, in, in many respects that, that, that we've spoken about. But that best and fairest nights, I mean, how, how was that from, from your point of view in 2019 with uh, yourself and Berkey up on stage? Mm-hmm putting that together after um, after halves and, and lowered spoke. Yeah, and, and didn't they speak well, both boys? And and to hear uh, the, the the stories of, you know, Anita and the three girls and then and, uh, and Barks' mum as well, that all that is one big crocheted St Kilda blanket, really, over the lot of us. Uh, and that was actually flooding through my head as I was on stage and, and, and Lowe and Banger and Berkey and, and all those blokes, they, they were so close because they had success. They won a lot of games together uh, and they, they were a sniff away from winning a premiership in 97 uh, against Adelaide, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so they, they, they could have had real success then. But, um, yeah, it was, it was really difficult uh, to, to get yourself up and about knowing that was so many people were affected and sitting out in that audience um, just to even get up on stage and talk about it was quite emotional. But we got through it. And um, it's amazing what you can do under duress if, you, if your thoughts, if your mindset's right. And all I did was think, 
okay, Spud's a big character. Barks was as larger than life. Um, they deserve a good send-off, and that's what I'm going to give them. So that that was in the back of my mind the whole time. Um, I wasn't going to let them down. I, I wanted to tell stories and make sure that people knew exactly who they were and, and how respected they were within the football world and also the football club. I saw uh, when I was trying to look into uh, into a bit of your history, I found a picture of you with Elton John from ninety one or uh, from eighty one or eighty two. Can yeah. uh, can you tell us the story behind that that photo? Um, I think he owned a soccer club, um, Watford. Watford. Or, Watford. Yeah. And uh, he was entrenched in our football because Molly, obviously, was is a big St Kilda fan and brought him along to a game, and he had a he had a he had a, a rock concert at Festival Hall called the Jump Tour, and he invited Barks and I along, and I, it was around that time. So Molly was a big influence, you know. He bought Olivia Newton John and Elton John, and he you know he had everyone there, um, and that's why the disco was a cracker as well. You know, we used to walk in and worship that bloody disco ball. Uh, more than a share in half the time. But um, yeah. uh, but I, I remember Elton, he said, listen, I, I want to launch this this tour. And I think it was part of St Kilda backing his jump concert and getting involved in the footy club. Uh, and then he would, uh, he ended up, we did, we did something on Countdown too, I think, I'm sure, back in those days. It was all Molly influence. So oh, I just went along with the ride. It was a good ride. You, so you're blaming Molly for that. Uh, is, is he also to blame for getting you on to sale the century, modelling the prizes and all that sort of thing? Or, or who's behind that? Um, well, I, I modelled for 10 years, five years with Fran Scotty and five with Vivian's um, through my whole career. And now I don't know whether it was a good move or a bad move because especially sale the century, because we used to take the whole five shows on the Wednesday. So we used to train Monday, Tuesday, tape the shows Wednesday, a light run Thursday, pick the team, run out Saturday afternoon against Hawthorne, Carlton or Collingwood, try your best. And then pleasant Sunday morning, you had to run out all the uh, your sore spots and then it all start again. But a bloke like Tony Shaw and these guys knew that I taped the show every Wednesday, five shows. So I remember playing out of Victoria Park and I dived on a ball and Tony Shaw just went bang and just hit me in the eye and I had a fat lip and he said, now do sail of the century. You know, so <laughs> they, they were onto it. They, they wanted to mess me right up, you know. So, uh, But, um, yeah, I, I was a, a target, that's for sure. They, they wanted to mess me up. But then Crawford came along and a few others and then everyone started to promotions so if you're not doing that now and making it quit off the ground you, you're not going hard enough but it was um it was a great life seriously the girls I worked with and Tony Barber and and that gave me my introduction into football and a bit like footy you got used to the floor managers and the cameras and channel nine and all that so when I did um happen to retire in 88 Gordon Bennett rang me and said we want you at channel seven and if you're half the performer is your old man, because he was world of sport and he's, he's a, he's a um, Hall of Fame journo as well, we're, we're going to take you on. So you're going to read the news. You, you, you can, um, you, 
You'll be working under Bruce McAvaney on Sports World. You'll be doing live football and, and you'll be working with Jennifer Kite and all that. Done. I said, where do I sign? Because my knee was buggered. Uh, and that gave me my introduction into a whole array of uh, roles in, within the TV realm. So I was seven years at seven, 15 years at Channel 9, and I've been at Triple M for 23 years. So I've been able to do the TV and the radio, um, which a lot of people can't do. And I, I'm, if I had my choice again to pick a career outside of football, I would do exactly the same as what I'm doing now, hosting shows and, and, uh, and, and doing the, the radio and the TV. It's, um, it's, I'm, I'm privileged. I'm, I'm so fortunate. It's fantastic. Last one from me, sort of media related. One of my favourite times we were sitting at the MCG. I was doing boundary and, and so were you. It was 2019. It was pissing down with rain. I reckon Richmond was playing West Coast or something like that. And St Kilda were playing Frio at Marvel at the same time. And we kicked the last two goals at a game and won by three points. I remember watching that on my Foxtel app with you uh, at the end of it, sort of clo- closing out the other latter stages of that game when I think it was Josh Bruce kicked the winning goal. But um in terms of your media role, how do you how do you find you know sort of watching the Saints in this current landscape where you you know you're still sort of working on match days? You might be impartial, sort of sitting down there boundary side, and, and I guess how have you observed the roller coaster of the last two years? Um, I've switched off a little bit. I used to be quite a passionate St Kilda supporter, um, and then the game has changed so much. It's not the game we used to play, so. It's, it's easy to turn off because I can't picture myself playing what's unfolding today. It's keepings off today where 80s, it was man on man. You had Shimmer for the day, Ashman or bloody Gary Wilson or Flea Waitman or Cracker. And you had him for the day. Like Johnny Platten was a nightmare, but you had him for the day. There was none of this switch off and on, 12 on ballers, Back flankers running in waves out to the fat spot, zoning up. There, there was none of that. So it, it's a different ball game. So you can actually switch off a little bit. I still follow it. I still follow the Tigers. Um, and uh, But I remember that day, and I used to get passionate about it, but I don't anymore. I don't. It's my, 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 I don't know whether it's age or the, the fact that the game's changed so much. I just, I just can't relate to it like I used to because back in the day, Compared to now, it's a different ball game. Simple as that. It it is certainly a different game. We know kind of how corporate the game has become, and you know we've lost some of those things that that made you know the VFL and AFL so great, like the local grounds and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but Moorabbin, I mean, you you played your career at, at Moorabbin. Um, I know walking to you know walking out onto the ground you know, during the week or whatever, and, and with the St Kilda jumper on, you know, you get a, a little bit of a tingle, a little bit of a thrill walking out onto Moorabbin wearing a St Kilda jumper. But what did that mean to you to play it at Moorabbin? And, and what, is that, what does that place mean to you now? Two things, thumping crowd. Like the days when there was a thumping crowd in the animal cage and yeah, the whole thing was humming. It was all, the stand sort of moved. Um, and you could feel that as a player. You don't get to feel that too often at other grounds, but... Victoria Park's another one. It was like a, I don't know, the, it had a sort of a, a life of its own, the ground, once it was, uh, the mojo was in the joint, you know. The other thing with Moorabbin is that um, it's the same dimensions as the MCG. Now, we're in a rain belt there, so that's why it used to get pretty boggy in the middle. Um, it had nothing to do with the sprinklers and blokes watering the middle, but for some reason it got very, very muddy 
And that was our game plan because Jeff Saru, Pup Saru, was only six foot three. So he'd go up in the ruck and punch the bloke's arm. So we knew that the ball was going to drop to his feet. So that was our way of getting it out. Greg Burns, myself, whoever was in the middle, in you go and whack it out. It, it wasn't complex. It was see ball, get ball and get it out to someone flashing past. Um, and we had some dirty bastards too. Like Pup Saru was... Matt Rendell is still scared of Jeff Saru. Uh, and and I've been scared of Greg Burns and Joffrey Cunningham. And the meek and mild one was Robbie Muir. He was just all um, arms and legs. But we had some henchmen and they were good at it. Uh, they didn't like playing St Kilda, especially at Moorabbin. Do you, do you have one memory or one story that kind of sticks out in your mind as, as your kind of favourite moment at, at Moorabbin? Moorabbin? Um, I've got a good one and a bad one. The bad one is I had a shot for goal against Geelong and I got pushed in the back and it went through for a point and I was you know, 40 metres out, 45 degree angle and I had to kick it to win and uh, Jesus, I missed it. So I remember my little brother in the press box, he's only tiny, he started crying apparently and one of the only games my old man saw me play because he was off doing other games for World of Sport and I blew that. Um, I played in two draws, uh, Richmond, the MCG on Francis Burke, and we played a draw out at Arden Street against North Melbourne. Two really high-class games. I'll never forget them. Kick five against Melbourne, and that was great because the coach was Barassi. So I loved uh, giving it to Ronald Dale. And my, one of my fondest memories was when Jezza took over and we knocked over Essendon. I think it would have been 80 or around that time. Oh, 80, yeah. And Yeah, was it 80? Mm-hmm. And Jezza was in the far forward running around. And that's when I knew that we, gee, it was so exciting to win that match and, and for Jezza to be there and that crowd uh, was, you know, it was just jam-packed, jam-packed. That, that, that sticks in my head. I think it was the day Phil Carmen got suspended for 20 weeks. I'm pretty sure yeah. that game against Destin in, in 1980 when we won by three points when he head-butted uh, oh, the boundary yeah. umpire out, uh, out on the side of the ground. And yeah. I think he got four for striking and 16 for the head-butt on the umpire. So uh, I think it was I remember Car- for some Car- reason that stands out. But It was Carberry, I think his name was. Yep, I think so. I think that's right. But uh, Mick, thank you very much for, for joining us. Hopefully see you at the footy soon and appreciate you telling us a lot of the stories. A lot of them are certainly quite raw and, and quite emotional and we appreciate your time. Yeah, um, I just love playing for St Kilda. It's, it's in my blood. Uh, I, I'm so, so happy that my old man played there and to follow his footsteps and, and I can relate to the Silvanis and and, and Hudson's and Witten's and whatever. So it, it, it's just a, a fantastic thing that I'll take to my grave. And they say strength and loyalty, it, it can't be any truer. And uh, and the fact that we've talked about Barks and Danny Frawley and hopefully a few of the St Kilda boys can, can see this, it, it means a lot to me. Uh, you've got to remember where you came from. And uh, and I tell you what, playing for the Saints has, has given me an enormous um, start to a, to a life, and and, uh, and as I said, I, I love every second of it, and I'll continue to, continue to enjoy it for sure. Michael Roberts here. We look ahead to Sydney, which is a game brought forward, I believe, to Saturday night. It was originally scheduled for uh, Sunday afternoon, and uh, our record is 3-7 and seven at Marvel this year. Two of those wins have come against North Melbourne and Hawthorne, who occupy the bottom two positions on the table 
um, and were probably in season worst form at the time that we played both of them. And the other win was the barnstorming win over West Coast earlier in the year. Um, but we've had some horror losses. We've lost three games by 70 points or more, at, uh, or 75 points or more. Should have lost another one by that much against Carlton, and Melbourne should have beaten us by probably 50 as well. So, um, And we had the, the Geelong loss, which... Uh, we probably should have won and the Port loss that we probably should have won. But we've got a horror record at Marvel. Sydney haven't played there all that much, in fairness. They've played most of their Melbourne games at the MCG. They've been travelling for a couple of months. Uh, in a cheeky sense, they, they get to see their family for the first time in about five weeks on Thursday. So hopefully um, they are... A distracted and B tired uh, when it gets to uh, when it gets to Saturday night's game, but um, we'll see what what does happen. They've got no one on their injury list apart from Naismith, who probably wouldn't be getting a game anyway because of how well Hickey's playing in the ruck for them at present. Um, we're probably sweating on the fitness of Sinclair, who's a test. Hopefully, we get Ryder back. Mackenzie should be fit, I would think, from those concussions. We're going to lose Hunter Clark again and Dougal Howard. With a hammy, we'll probably miss, you'd think, the last three games of the, the home and away season. So if there are changes, you'd say that you've probably got to pick Joyce or someone like that or Frawley in place of um, uh, Howard, especially with Buddy and, and Reed playing. Uh, you then you hope Sinclair comes in for Clark, if not Vitale or both. And then I would play McKenzie for Kent personally, but um, we'll see which way they go on, on that front. But... That's what I'd imagine HD probably look to do. Um, and, yeah, Hanabry would be the interesting one. I don't think Sandy have had enough hit outs necessarily. He was fit enough to play a few weeks ago, but whether they pull the trigger on that, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, I mean, what rumour between oh, well, somewhere during the week saying, oh, we've told him that this will be the end or whatever, and, yeah, who knows? It's interesting to see whether that... Whether that eventuates or not. So, but um, yeah, you said the, the game that was brought forward, but it's yeah, gone back eight weeks and then gone forward a day. So <laughs> it's, it was, this is the one that was meant to be at the SCG, but obviously the, the previous one was. I actually so. wish it was. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't it, at Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I just, just Sydney at the moment, you, I don't think anywhere you play them at the moment, they're going to be easy to beat. It's the surprise pack of the year by, by far. They just, they just reinvigorate themselves from nowhere. They've just gone the draft gone. We take this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid, or picked them out of their academy as well. And quickest rebuild of all time. They've turned out to be some of the best players for them for all year. And you're just going, where, how did they get these kids? how are they hiding them? How are they keeping away from everyone else? And you just go, would you love to find, I mean, they found, I think I reckon five players this year who basically are going to be hard to be hard to drop ever because they've just slotted in and they look like they've been playing for years and you go, well, can we just get two from somewhere or that they're impossible to drop? So they're, just, just not an easy, te- not going to be an easy team to beat. That, that's as simple as it is. And um, yeah, I mean, have, you got Buddy who's come back. He's probably the only upside to him not getting suspended was he didn't get a week off last week. Mm. Um, he t- didn't get the rest, so I uh, gave him the opportunity to do something else stupid, but unfortunately he didn't. So yeah, well, hopefully, 
hopefully be able to hold him. And I mean, he's targeting that thousand goal mark. And I mean, the way we play on the weekend, he could he probably could finish it this weekend. But it's yeah, uh, hopefully we can hold him to just a couple. I mean, if we get him to two, we're doing well. But then you got to look at their small forwards because if he's not kicking the goals, they got little crummers and even the mid-sized forwards. It, it, the whole team just kicks goals. So it, it's really going to have to, we have to go back to those couple of weeks against Richmond and Collingwood and whatever we're doing then, that's what we've got to do because yeah, they're going to, they they'll kick a lot of goals if we don't, if we don't really drill down on them this week. They're, um they're kind of like us from last year in terms of being the, the surprise packet and the way they play footy and, you know, that, that injury list or, or that healthy list, I, I suppose we could call it, um, you know, you're kind of hoping that maybe a, a couple of conjugal visits over the, the, the few days that they're allowed to see the family again might hopefully take a little bit out of them because nothing else will. Um, but you, you're right, it's, you know, the way that they've drafted and recruited and, and all that sort of stuff over the last couple of years is, you know, I said it before, the quickest quickest rebuild of all time. And that's what that's what good clubs do. You know, Geelong essentially haven't rebuilt for 20 years. Hawthorne are only starting their, their rebuild kind of now and it took them 15 years to, to, to rebuild Hawthorne. And yeah, they're probably not going to take that long because they're just a, a quality, quality football two club. Top four sides, yeah. yeah, exactly right. And Sydney, you know, a, a bottom four team for 18 months and, and all of a sudden they're, you know, pushing the top four and a little bit like us, they, they've tended to, to thrive, I guess, when they're under pressure and, and, you know, being in their, in their hub or, or their bubble, whatever you want to call it, over the last couple of months seems to have reinvigorated them. They had a couple of slower weeks through the middle of the year. They started the year on, on fire, as we know, but, um, you know, they had a couple of slower weeks in the middle and, and ever since they've been in this in this uh, COVID bubble or whatever, that a bit like us last year, they've just kind of gotten around each other and, and they've kind of really reinvigorated themselves and they're playing really good footy and they're, they're super dangerous. Um, you know, you keep, like you said, H, you keep Buddy quiet and you keep him to a couple, all of a sudden Mills pops up and kicks five or Parker kicks a couple or you know, Papley's probably the best the best small forward in the competition um, at the moment. They've just got so many different options. and um, Heaney, yeah. Heaney's just a star. Um, mm. And, you know, Kennedy, old man Kennedy, who's 45, can, can pop up and kick two or three on any given day. Um, just you know, off a right contest and, and snap around the corner. All of a sudden, you know, he can kick two in a, in a couple of minutes. Um, they've got guys that impact impact the game and impact the contest, impact the scoreboard all over the field, all over the ground, and at every position, they've got you know almost an all Australian candidate. So it's it's going to be really difficult. Um, that being said, it's, it would be so St Kilda, like I said earlier, it would be so St Kilda for us to lose to Carlton off the back of their thumping against the bottom team and then come out and beat Sydney. Um, it, it would be so St Kilda. It's, it's funny. I, um, if, if you look at it in a, in a few different ways, so it's in a game sense. So we should have beaten them last time we played them. Similar health of the lists relatively at that stage. Had 100 shots to win the game in the last 10 minutes. Um, then if you look at them last week, so they played Essendon. Essendon are at about our level and they've had a, you know, they're 8 and 11 Bombers, two goals up at halftime, probably should have led by four or five, didn't take their chances. Then it became a shootout in the second half and lost by seven points. So you look at a game like that and you think, well, we are capable of emulating that type of performance that got Essendon within a kick, which would give us a chance in the game if we could 
restrict them. Sydney kicked 14 goals in the second half, I think, last week. Essendon themselves kicked 10 or 11 and, and lost. Um, you don't want to play a game like that. It was a great game of footy, but, um, you know, the shootout's not going to suit us just at the minute. But at the same time, we need a bit more of an open game um, than we had last week from, from our point of view. But, yeah, they are they're still gettable. Um, they're, they're playing as well as anyone. They're, they're probably only Geelong and the Bulldogs on form are going as well as they are at the moment. They're a chance to finish top four, and if they do, they can win the flag. But... Uh, so they need to beat us in order to do that because Port Adelaide are just occupying that spot in front of them. But uh, it's interesting that the, the gut feel factor, I don't know how good this is for other people, um, seems to be ridiculous for me. I had a horrific feeling leading up to the Port game, had a horrific feeling leading up to the Carlton game, had an excellent feeling leading up to the Richmond game and an excellent feeling leading up to the Brisbane game. And I feel all right about this one too, for, and no idea why. There's no logical rhyme or reason to it, but um, just part of me thinks in the back of my mind that we might give it a fair old nudge. Um, don't know why. They're a much better side than Carlton are, and Carlton smoked us last Friday. But um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, just a funny feeling in the uh, in the bones that we might be okay. Yeah, you say they're only behind probably the Bulldogs and Geelong and that, but um, like they're only third behind uh, the Bulldogs and Lions in scoring. So they, they're very, very potent up forward. and Which is so different they, from what we've come to expect from Sydney yeah, teams over well, the last they, they used to, Yeah, they used to be the team that smothered everyone and won by kicking seven goals, um, similar to what we were doing at one point as well. But they've just, I think that's what surprised most teams. They've just opened up so much and they've got this free-flowing game that, I, I think it's it's probably surprised themselves more than what it's actually surprised everyone else. So, uh, they, I mean, they were clearly picked to finish low this year by all the experts, by everyone sort of going, yeah, they're going to take a couple of years to get back and that sort of thing. But it's just such a quick turnaround. And, um, yeah, I... It, it would not surprise you if they do manage to sneak a top four position because I think they've got a, a reasonable run home. I mean, they've got us this week, then North Melbourne and Gold Coast. They're, they're pushing for that top four position. I mean, to get For them to get a double chance would be, it'd be unbelievable. Going from bottom four last year to top four this year, and you think, and, and they could beat anyone on their day at the moment too. Well, they're going to have to win the last two when they get beaten this week, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can hope so, yes. It's one of those things like, and, and you know, you look at the way that, that we've built our list over the last few years and, and tried to rebuild and, you know, we've gone the opposite way. But you look at you look at teams like Port Adelaide a couple of years ago bringing in, you know, Rosie and Butters and Drew and, and those kind of kids and, and Sydney with, you know, over the years, you know, Heaney and Mills and, um, you know, Goulden in the last year and, and they've got, yeah, you know, a number of kids that they brought in over the last off season and, and draft and, and that sort of stuff. And and their academy, like you mentioned before, H has has been incredible for them. But yeah, you know, I was kind of hoping that that playing the likes of of Burns and Connolly and, and these guys uh, uh you know helps bring some of that life back into the way that we play footy. And um it did for a little while. I think, you know, we saw some excitement against, you know, Richmond, Collingwood and Brisbane and and even against West Coast um and, and Port at stages. But you know, we really needed it last week, and um, I'm I'm kind of hoping that that it's Joyce that comes in this week and not Frawley. 
um, because I think we're, we're at that point where we just need to see, we need to see Joyce for a couple of weeks and, and just tell him he's got, you know, he's got the spot. He's got full back for the next couple of weeks. Howard's out. Um, he's got to go prove himself. And, and, you know, we, we don't know what he can do when given that, you know, it's not that there's long to go, but an extended opportunity of just no pressure. This is your spot. Um, James Frawley, you think that he's he's done at the end of the year. He probably should have been done at the end of last year um, and, and doesn't get another crack. But but he's won. Joyce and, and Claverino are probably the two that, that you look and think they probably need a shot to kind of prove themselves now um, because, you know, we just need to see what they've got. Yep, we do. We do. I was just say, just thinking of one other one that's possibly a youngster that we're bringing through, Cooper Sharman. That, mm. that, that was a, bit, a little bit of a surprise, to be honest. Um, I mean, what was it? Two Definitely goals. decent cameo. Decent cameo. Yeah. yeah I'm, he's come on as a replacement for a defender, which you sort of go, okay, well, there's maybe a little bit of the problem that we only had a, a, t- a tallish forward as a backup and the defenders goes off and he yeah, pops up, kicks two goals. And yeah, I mean, it's a, wasn't technically a debut, but no, not a day, not a bad debut. Otherwise, showed showed clean hands yeah. and, and attack at the footy as well, which is impressive for a, mm. for a young kid, especially one who's going to get outbodied by bigger defenders and and you know veterans or guys that have been in the system for longer. But definitely showed showed a bit, and you know I hope he I hope he stays in the team this week. Definitely, definitely, and look, um, it seems to be every second week we regather with renewed hope, and a win like this would. Um, would certainly look. It's a strange old season. Anything is possible. We're, we're certainly depleted and, and a bit out of form, and, and they're flying. But there was a point a few weeks ago when we were flying, and our opponents were depleted in Port Adelaide, and it didn't go to script for us that time. So, stranger things can happen. Uh, Sydney have been very good at times this year, but they've also been flogged by the Gold Coast and Hawthorne. So you just never know what might occur. But uh, fingers crossed. If we win the game, we'll very much still be alive and we'd like to reconvene and talk about getting one back on the Cats after what they did to us at Marvel earlier on in the year. But we live to fight another day, albeit just, and we look ahead to Saturday, go Saints.